Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, the greatest Tuesday you've had all week. I am stoked to be in studio with my good man, Matt Dixon. All right, I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn. If you have not joined us before, man, are you missing out? But guess what? We keep it on the podcast, so you can go grab those. It'll post tomorrow at our website at littlejohnfs.com. You can also look it up by my name. So if you look up David Littlejohn or if you look up uh, True Wealth, uh, it's going to be in all your favorite podcast engines. So be sure to grab it. Uh, let me start out today by just saying, <laughs> that, that's just the way to start. Like, what a week. Uh, expletive deleted, exclamation point, kick the dog at home. Mm-hmm. Like, like <laughs> my gosh. Everyone's like, what's he talking about? The stock market. Yeah, <laughs> the stock market who just this year so we traded back up today to finish at 4001 points we started the year at if i'm looking at this right let me let me go back to the year to date weren't we around like 40 well we were at just uh, just below 4800 we were like 4796 or something yeah and now so that's like a 20 percent uh, pullback well yeah i mean it's yeah. 800 points on that so if it had been about 1,100 points, it's 20%. We're not to full-blown mm-hmm. bear market in the S&P. We are at the NASDAQ. Yeah. NASDAQ, and remember, bear market, if you're wondering, 20% from peak value. So a pullback of 20% is considered a full-blown bear market. You know why they call it a bear, Matt? Because bears have a trouble running down a hill. No, no, but that makes it more fun. I hope we use that in a promo someday. They can uh, run up a hill really well, but they really do struggle to run down So, hill. So, you know, why are bull markets called bulls and why are bear markets called bears? I'm curious now. Because I knew this at one point. A I feel bear like. stands up, holds its paws in the air, and then strikes down. So it's okay. a downward attack. Whereas a bull lowers, lowers its, its head. head and then thrusts oh, up. So I didn't know that. Bull market is a rising market. Bear market is a declining market. Okay. And then what's a correction? What we're experiencing right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're the correction, correction is territory. 10%. Yeah. And a, and a bear is 20%. So what do we call it when the markets go up 10%? A recovery. Good day. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right now it'd be a recovery. It'd just be relief. Right? Yeah. Put some um, ointment on that burn. Yeah. So... Here is the magic of this one. Um, we can we can squeeze a silver lining out of this thing. It's true, uh, but the whole basically whether or not you are sleeping well at night has almost everything to do right now with your time horizon. Okay, we mm-hmm. have talked about this on the show many many times, and if you find yourself bothered by this market then you really do need to take a look at, am I honest with my risk assessment as an investor? I look at it like, hey, I'm 32 years old, and I might not be you know, needing any access to this money for another 30 years. So in 30 years from now, are the markets going to look worse than they are today? Probably it is not. Very unlikely. So, and, and I look at it this way. I'm still younger than Tom Brady. 
Huh? I know, right? right? <laughs> Barely. Uh, which, uh, uh, and, and I got to tip my hat to the man because, uh, no, I do not want to even attempt professional athletics. Uh, his body may be a temple. Mine is more like a shack. Right like, how do you think that would feel at that age to get hit by Bobby Wagner full on? Uh, oh. Well, I, mean, I think when I wake up a week later and wonder what my name is, we can, <laughs> you can ask me. How does Tom Brady do it? There has he doesn't to- get hit much, for one thing. You know that the the secret to a long career as a quarterback is have a really good offensive line. Did Tom Brady change up his diet and go vegan? Did I hear yeah, that? Yeah, I think at least um, in season. Uh-huh. I think he's, right. That's what he's it was. vegan or at least uh, fairly aggressive and clean vegetarian in season. Heather at our office, if she's listening right, right now, now, is she's just like, like she's got the like, pom poms out. Yep. <laughs> Heather is our. Uh, resident vegan for health reasons, not political reasons, which is why I can bless it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if, you're, if what's on your plate is like you're somehow a social statement, I'm like, I can't talk to you. But if it's like, no, no, this is just how I how I like to be healthy, I'm like, oh, all Let's right, well then we realistic. can talk all you want. Like hamburgers and hot dogs, they're just too delicious. It's you know, I, like and grilling. When you, when it's you're grilling not allowed season, to have guys. apple pie every now and then. I'm like, mm. but I believe you can make a vegan apple pie. I guarantee you, if she's listening to this, tomorrow we're going to show up at work and she's going to have one <laughs> on the counter, like Heather's proving it to you guys. Yeah, and if you've never called the office, there's a good chance you'll get to, you would get to talk to Heather. You'll recognize her because she has a soft voice, but she has a really big stick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she makes a mean cauliflower burger. I'll give yeah, her. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I tried it. Things that shouldn't taste delicious taste delicious. So. I know. I think she's got like a little sorcery going on in the background. Right All there. right. <laughs> so as we look at the, the the question of the day, I'm framing up. So this is really a question of time horizon, and some we're going to talk myths of the market a little bit. Okay. And we're going to talk about some of the things that we need to realize. And, and why am I relying on time horizon so much? Uh, this is probably the number one thing that I have talked with investors about over the last week that are nervous about the markets. And I've had a number of people that have contacted our firm uh, or they're texting me and they're saying like, oh, should we get in? Should we get out? Should we do this? Should we do that? And I, I want to sort of you know just pause for station ID Let's all take a breath. And my question is, what's your time horizon? And the answer fluctuates in the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'm thinking this or that or the other thing. And the the reason the question is so important is because of what you just said, Matt. Like, do you think 30 years from now, today matters in the markets? What about 10 years from now? Probably not in 10, probably not in five, and probably not even in three. Yeah, because does mean, it what's... matter in one year? It may, it mm-hmm. may. But but that's. I mean, COVID was what three months? Well, the, the, COVID, the COVID crash. The COVID correction was like three or four weeks. Three or four weeks. Okay, it was what about super fast? And let's aggressive. let's just like do a brief look back. So if COVID was three weeks, what about two thousand eight? Because everyone always mentions thirteen two, months. Thirteen months. Roughly, two thousand eight started in two thousand seven, mm-hmm. right? And then it really rolled over hard. Later in the in the last uh, end of Q3 and most of Q4 of 2008, market bottomed, and I remember two dates really well. One of them was February 12th, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, but it was early February. That's the one I remember less, which was when 
the emerging markets. So I had a, I was working with a software firm, and they bought into emerging markets, mm-hmm. and it was a very early call in the middle of a yeah, everything breaking down. The other was March 9th, two thousand nine. Okay? okay, that was the bottom for the S and P five hundred, and the market went on to go up about forty percent that year. Wow! After the bottom. Wow. And the reason now, just so you know, if you made forty percent in one year, you did not recover from the total loss. Right. So, so it took most people through most of two thousand ten to get back out of that thing. But the only way that you didn't climb out of that hole is if you sold everything in a panic near the bottom. Do you know some people that did that? They got. I know people that did, and then or people that never got back in. They sold early, but they never had the stomach to get back into the market. What about the dot-com bubble in the 90s? Do you recall roughly how? I, I do. That was early in my career. Okay. And so the big run-up happened through 98 and 99, and really in 1999. And, and back then, the phrase was the new economy, right? We're in the new economy. The digital age. Nope. The no. new economy specifically. And it was in reference to dot-com stocks and that you no longer had to value a company based on its profits or cash flow but how quickly it could acquire customers okay and so people were paying for essentially an advertising revenue model of well we assume that if you can attract millions of customers in a hurry that you must be doing something right and therefore you're valuable and the the big sort of billboard for how much of a failure this was was pets.com which no longer exists not petco not petco pets.com which didn't make any money and was trying to sell online pet supplies okay and they took out a super bowl ad in 1999 i think or maybe even 2000 right as everything was cresting but it with this stupid sock puppet I don't remember anything else I but the stupid I recall sock this. Yeah. Oh, it's a case study in failure of companies, right? They spend giant dollars to get a Super Bowl ad and then they're terrible. Huh. And and so and then it just collapses from there. And so that company no longer exists. Shareholders completely lost money, uh, like completely were unrecoverable losses, right? Mm-hmm. Like equity gone. If you so you look back on that period of time from the the peak of 1999 to the trough of about 2001, the NASDAQ fell like 80 plus percent, Whoa. 85 percent as an index. It took, I think, 13 years for the NASDAQ to make new highs. Really? Yeah. Now, make no mistake, during that 13-year period, there were incredible runs. Like Apple mm-hmm. came out of the ashes of that scenario and went on to have an incredible run. Microsoft collapsed and completely rebuilt from there. Hmm. Incredible run. Uh, we've seen company the birth of NVIDIA, a uh, graphics processor. There's a company that just went on an incredible you know, run. Um, far more recently than that, like you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago, Tesla. Yep. Right? And that was post-2008. That that, I mean, it, was, it existed before that, but that's when it really took off and, and started to be available. Went from just a twinkle and uh, you know, paper idea to, to real life. So tremendous opportunity for investors all the time. You know, I mean, investing is like watching water flow down a river. 
you can hop in at any time and there's but if you don't there's another opportunity coming downstream Mm-hmm. Right. The seasonality will change a little bit. Sometimes the current conditions are better one day than another. But opportunities keep flowing by. The question is, when are you going to jump in and seize them? Mm-mm. Right. That's a good way to describe it. I like that. So so the time horizon, though, that becomes the question. Right. And you ask the question about, well, what do I remember about 2008 mm-hmm. and why do you ask? Hmm. I feel like this is a teaser that we're not going to reveal Well, you asked for a reason. If the answer is how long does it take to recover, we'll talk about it. But, yep, break first. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you're listening to The True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right. I guess that's our cue. We'll be back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dave Littlejohn joining me in studio. The... Ever so wonderful, Matt Dixon. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I like the, you know, I'm supposed to be the one to compliment you. It just, no, I just decided yeah, I'm just going to take that. Yeah, it arrogant on. now. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, what do we know about, we're talking about Time Horizon today, and yeah, the whole show of like, how long should you hold your investments, and why, and where, and who, and what, and what do we care? Well, right. we've been talking a lot about our Time Horizons, and before the break, I was kind of leading you into this, like... Hey, how long did the COVID thing last? How long did the financial crisis of 2008 last? And then we started talking a little bit about the dot-com bubble, which right. I don't know that we really got into how long that well, lasted. Well, so the dot-com bubble bottoms in 2001 and takes till 2003 to recover. Okay. So a couple years-ish. Uh, Remember, I'm swagging these. Some fact checker, you know, have a ball, go post online, get it right for us. Mm-hmm. That's great. But the reality is that it wasn't super long. Uh, historically, up until... COVID, which we don't really count in that data because that bear market was super short. Yeah. Right? Like three and a half, four weeks of before it, it started to recover. You probably didn't sleep that great right? during those three and, and a half And the crazy weeks, thing though. is it goes down in March and by like June, it's up to new highs and it mm-hmm. takes off like a rocket ship. We'll talk a little bit about so why. So we've kind of progressively seen the markets recover faster almost. Well, like, sort of, but we've seen some changes to things that we didn't have before. Okay. So let's talk, talk about, about that this? and how it's going to evolve and what this may mean for our investors longer term. Okay. But it's all relevant to time horizon. What's on your mind? First, uh, post.com implosion, we had significantly higher interest rates than today. I mean, they did lower rates to improve, but you know, mm-hmm. we saw interest rates of you know, 6 7 8%. Okay, in the 90s, right. late 90s. And then how did it turn well, from there? They, they, I mean, they declined, but not radically so until we got to 2008 when everything collapsed and they had to drop interest rates to stimulate the economy. Mm-hmm. They also did the first government loan programs, what was called TARP, T-A-R-P, the Troubled Asset Relief Program. And that was back in like 2008, bailing banks out. Do you foresee, you know, like this situation being another episode where the government could get involved with more programs to try so, and turn things around? Or like, I don't think or is that's that... what we're seeing. We're seeing the, uh, What I'm going to suggest is we're now seeing the opposite. Okay. Right? So we saw from 2008 until 2021 an ongoing amount. And there was one drop in there. We saw basically in 2019 the Federal Reserve stopped buying bonds as much. They were still buying bonds, but they stopped raising rates. So, but we saw from 2008 first lowering of interest rates to nearly zero, and then quantitative easing. That is the printing of money, in effect, where the Federal Reserve buys the U.S. Treasuries and holds them on its balance sheet. 
And so by doing that, it becomes the credit card for the federal government mm -hmm. rather than the taxpayer or other bond buyers, like other sovereign countries. So China was buying U.S. debt or Japan or some country like that uh, buying our bonds. So our own Federal Reserve, which is not the government, mm -hmm. contrary to popular belief, right? It's not. It's an independent federal bank. But that the Federal Reserve bought the treasuries and held them on balance sheet, which is the, the effect is it printed money. So uh, by doing that, they were the demand side of the bond buying curve, right? So mm. if you issue lots and lots of bonds, that's a flood of the supply side of the curve. And if nobody's willing to buy them, then the bonds can't be sold. And so the price drops and the yield goes up. So that would cause rates to go up. So if you want rates to go down, you introduce artificial demand in the form of buying by the Federal Reserve. Okay. Okay. So that's what happened. And that went on for years, right? I mean, we saw that happening through the, the Greek crisis and so forth. So we've seen quantitative easing since back in, I don't know, like 2011 or 12. And it went on and went on and went on. And then last year and coming into 2022, they stopped buying. They stopped the quantitative easing first because they wanted to see rates start to drift higher as a way to slow inflation. Hardy har, right? And now they've been raising interest rates. And now the discussion is they might have to get even more aggressive about interest rates because let's be honest, the inflation horse is out of the barn. Mm -hmm. And it's like strike it rich, right? Oh. It's an angry horse that it's, you know, it's winning the race and biting the other horses too. Oh. Yeah, and I, re I remember- <laughs> You had to see the Kentucky Derby to know what I'm talking about on that one. I think it was nine months ago we were in here and you were kind of talking about this a little bit before we even got to this point where you were like, hey, red flag, like I'm sure we could find it somewhere on one of these podcasts. I, I am sure I've been calling this one for the better part of a year was the issue is when. Right. right. When does it finally hit? Is that you cannot print money without consequences? Mm -hmm. And the modern mo I've talked about the modern monetary theory. Yeah, I think it was and, one of the very first shows I did with you. Yeah. We were talking about this, and, and you were saying, "Hey, this is going to happen one day." And now, you know, I'm starting to have a flashback moment, saying, "Hey, here we are. Now we're in it. Right. We're in so it right now." This is the issue where. Uh, and the, the problem is we don't know how long it takes to filter into the economy. And the answer is now, right? Basically, end of April, the markets head faked us, thinking they might go back to near highs. We, we had a pretty big run up there for a we little did. bit. We did. We were at 4,800 at, at the start of the year, roughly, on the S&P. And then we fell down to 4,350 or so and ran back up to like 45, 46. Mm -hmm. And then collapsed again yeah. and fell down to where we're at today at 4,000. The question is, of course, can it go further down? And if so, how far? And we're not going to really, and the answer is yes, it can go down. How far? Farther, right? I mean, that's the answer. Yep. I'm not giving you numbers. I'm not giving you times. That's that's danger zone to try to predict the future here because then somebody will say, you promised me. And I'm like, no, I didn't. Right? Mm -hmm. It could also be done and it could go up from here. Uh, something weird could happen and the markets could decide to change the course. I doubt it. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll just say like that the data sure doesn't show that right now. The, the data suggests that there's a lot of uncertainty in this market, and the the, ba the bad behaviors are yet to get washed out. The Federal Reserve, for all of their good intentions, were simply they they allowed the markets to run too far, get too hot, and then Washington D.C. in its let's be really honest here, its 
lack of fiscal responsibility. And that is a rock thrown at the entire capital, yeah. not a party. Right? So as yep. soon as as soon as one party says, like, you know, if you're on the right saying, Well, yeah, you know, get the Trump back in there and save money, like, okay, the Trump administration didn't save money. They 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 increased deficit spending and they increased the federal debt. Okay. It's and true. he goes, Well, it was in the middle of COVID. Like you can try to excuse it however you want, but don't don't do it that We've way. We've been spending huge right? amounts of money for because a long time. Since the Clinton administration, everybody has spent more than they've brought in. Yep. Everybody has been deficit spending, and every party says the other party is not fiscally responsible, right? The right says that the left just pushes too much services they can't afford, and the left says that we don't tax enough. Right, largely, I and mean, that's kind of the big. Right. The like, we don't tax the wealthy enough to pay for everything. It's a scripted story. Yeah, and the reality is that both parties are inaccurate about parts of what they're suggesting. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, raise taxes on the rich. Okay, you could tax all of it. It won't do it. It won't be enough. You could take. Yep. You could confiscate their wealth. It won't be enough. We spend that much over. Okay, and so, and when we print money, then we get what we have right now. So what we don't want, we talked about this on another show, is the stagflation environment, but that's a... Kind of sounds like a double-edged sword. Well, the, the, the issue that the Fed has to contend with is that not only does it have to try to set monetary policy for lending, but it has to try to also manage Washington, D.C., which is, I, I like Ronald Reagan's description, Washington, D.C. is like a, a baby. It's an elementary canal that's messy on one end and no responsibility on the other right <laughs> and you're like that's the government right? it's just like it doesn't it, it's it's messy yeah, right? I and, mean, it, it really and it is. struggles with certain responsibilities because some of it's by design i mean and not on purpose but you know government's trying to be accountable and like I, i'm not here to wholesale bash it but i'm suggesting anytime you get that big and that bureaucratic and you get people that we elect to two years at a time, in most cases, some of them six years at a time. How much can you learn about that position when you're not busy campaigning? That's a good point. Right? In two years where every other year you spend a year on the campaign trail. Great. How much of the people's business do you really know versus how much are you getting the cliff notes from somebody and then you're out there waving the flag, collecting money so you can get your job back? Mm-hmm. Reading off the prompter that someone else wrote. Yeah. I mean, And so... Yeah, Special Interest runs this show. I've said it on this show before, and I'll say it again. My solution is very simple. I think ranked choice voting for primaries would be very, very important to getting more moderate candidates. And I think that we should cap the amount that anybody can contribute to political campaigns and that you should be required to have a Social Security number. That eliminates tax identification numbers from eligibility. I realize that unions and corporations are rolling over in their graves right now, but I would say... Or if they're, you know, in their offices, they're probably not dead. But look, I think real people, it shouldn't be about how many dollars buys the vote. I think if it's a great idea, convince people to pull their money together and chip it in there. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to know how much. It's like same thing as we can identify dollar bills by social security number. I think there are a lot of things that we can identify by some kind of identification code to know what it is, right? And I think the dollars contributed matter. So, look, Mm -hmm. good ideas. That's how we get it back to being in the people's best interest rather than special interest. How we pass it, yeah, good luck with that, right? 
because special interest isn't going to support it, which means the people got to get organized enough to do it. And it used to be, let's use social media, but we figured out, too, that, well, that's not exactly a free free and open platform (laughs) for communication. And so grassroots is tough. It's tough, but that's that's probably the, the, the best chance we have as a country is to stop this from being about political special interest dollars and just make it about people's dollars. Um, and that's not necessarily a perfect fix either. I hate to say it. Yeah. Because let's be honest, mobs seldom get smarter. Right? I mean, the, the IQ of a mob doesn't go up. It goes down. So if you get enough people convinced to do something stupid, they will. And... You know, you can you, you can see the idea of like, hey, we got a really good idea and we're going to get it wrong because the stupid will be louder than smart. Hmm. Yeah, is what it is. Look, um, so <laughs> there's my, yeah, the show's not about politics, except for that part right there. The real catch is, did we take a side or did we just throw rocks at everybody? I think we kind of dropped them by airplane like we (laughs) we were dropping rocks from twenty thousand feet everyone felt that one oh man look why don't we do this we'll grab a break we'll come back we'll refocus and i want to link risk tolerance to time horizon to the investment markets and what that means for you stick around we'll be right back this is dave littlejohn and matt dixon you're listening to true wealth on news radio 93.9 fm at 1240 kqea Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Matt Dixon. All right, if you're listening on the podcast, you already know how to get it. If you're not listening on the podcast, listen on the podcast next time. It's at littlejohnfs.com, and you'll find it under the Educate tab uh, and all of your other fun places you can download. So uh, I, I want us to get back to home base on this thing, stuff that I think is really critical for investors to understand right now. Um, first of all, we've been talking about time frame a little bit. We'll ditch the politics and stick with that. What's short term and what's long term, Matt? Well, so long term capital gains would be anything over a year, and short term gains would be gains that you realize with investments under a year. See, I, I surprised him with the question. I said, "What's the difference between short term and long term?" And, and he I gave just, me capital gains. Now, what's the difference between short term and long term time horizons? Oh, man, that's really kind of at someone's own discretion, I feel like. Aha. And that is the correct answer, right? It's like, I don't know. Yeah, it's up I to I mean, you. I do, though, right? I mean, I mean to there, me, but, like, but it's, not a, it's not a specific number, is mm-hmm. it? It's really not. Right? So I guess here's the question. What's the difference between trading and investing? Usually short-term versus long-term. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Usually. And that's the simple answer to it. And there are lots of different definitions out there, but let's think of it this way, right? How about like the person that calls and says, hey, I want you to make me money. And you say, well, sure. Like we can we can work towards doing that. How long do we have? And they say, well, you know, I think I want to invest for about a year. And to that you would reply. Yeah. Okay. Well, how much are we starting with? Right? <laughs> that's, I mean, so my, my here's my joke, right? I can make anybody a million dollars, okay? And it's really simple. Uh, I can make you a million dollars with any amount of money, right? Now, if you have $5 million, that's great because I could just blow $4 million on whatever I want, and then you have a million dollars left. But <laughs> let's if you come to me with $100 and say, I want you to turn this $100 into a million dollars, I'll go, all right, so I can get it started, mm-hmm. right? I may not live long enough to do it, but I should be able to take that 
hundred dollars and theoretically unless like you know it's armageddon or you know the you're saying like normal market conditions in well i'm not even normal i'm saying just long-term market conditions mm -hmm. and in a fiat-based society where you have an increasing amount of capital your hundred dollars invested will eventually grow to be a million dollars it may take 300 years to get there and it will have the purchasing power of a hundred and fifty dollars today Mm -hmm. By the time it gets there, right? I mean, something like that. But it it's possible to make that happen. The issue is time horizon, mm. right? Now, if you come to me with $999,000 and say, I want you to make me a million dollars, then I'm going to say, well, if I only have to make $1,000 more to get you there, that's a lot less of a leap now to get there. So then it's like, well, give me a year. There's a really good chance. We could probably find just a almost zero interest, you know, very, very low interest environment anywhere and still make that thing pay off with relative surety. So there's your time horizon element. Where I think investors are getting gut checked right now is volatility in the short term is really high. It's a way of saying like, the markets are down in the short term. If you have a long term time horizon, you should be licking your chops. Right, you should be looking at this right now, and, say, and 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 keep in mind, markets could go down from here. They go down further, but this is your opportunity to start building up capital and looking for opportunities to buy. You got my brain going, and I gotta like rewind us back just a few minutes because uh -oh. you said like, "What about a hundred bucks? Can I turn it to a million? So well, no, I said I can turn it. Yeah, to yeah, a yeah. Just so said, how long do I? I have? busted out the fancy calculator over well, here. Well, of course you did. Yeah, I had to. I'm a math person, so I put in a starting age of 18, right? Mm -hmm. And I threw um, a retirement age in there of 100 years old. Okay. And I put in a hundred dollars. I put in you're gonna get you're gonna contribute zero dollars each month. So right. You just start with that hundred, and then I put in an annual return of 12 percent. Okay, so you're doubling your money every six years if you're not paying taxes as you go. Mm -hmm. And in the end, you put in only $100, and it came out to $1.7 million. Right, over a period of 82 years. Yep. Now, and if I'll bet you that if you said retirement at about, about age 94, it would be a million bucks. Should I, you want me to? We may as well now. Yeah. Now, 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 now we got. Bet. I'm swagging. Let's see how good my time value of money calculator okay. is in my head. So 94, 1.6 million. Oh even. my goodness! Look Jeez. at that. So it's actually significantly younger. What do you try? Like 85. Okay, we're gonna go all the way down to. My 85. time value calculator is busted, huh? It's saying 1.5 still. Yeah, something's wrong. Wrong with that. I don't think so. Yeah. yeah, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Not at twelve percent. That's that's broken. Something's not right. Oh no no, my bad. I changed uh, I changed see? the wrong variable. Hold on, see? we're gonna go back to ninety four. You're right. See, <laughs> how much do you, I changed? How much you currently have in your investments? Not the yeah. Age. Don't do that. Start with okay. We're gonna go back to ninety four. Twelve percent. Age ninety four. I want to I want to hear it. Like where where would we land? Um, hold on. My internet connection. Is stalling out on me. Okay, calculate, well, calculate. While, while you figure that out, okay, I'm gonna just the reason that we're framing up long term, short term, and otherwise, and why we're talking about risk is look, being an aggressive investor versus a conservative investor. What that really means is how much fluctuation are we willing to tolerate in the account, and if 
if you're down, like right now the NASDAQ's down over 20%. So if you're invested heavily in a lot of tech stocks or the growthy stocks in the economy, and you've got you know, a 15, 20, 25% loss in your account, and that's, that could be real money. If you had $100,000, you got 75000 now. Right? That's true. And so, and you know what's even worse? If you make 25%, I lose 25%. If I make 25%, I'm not back to where I started, right? I need to make 35% in order to get back to where I started, pretty much. I mean, a little less than that. But I need to make more than I lost on a percentage basis to climb out of that hole. So that's a bummer, okay? But the reality is that that's the way the ratios work on this thing is that you would expect if you're an aggressive investor to be willing to tolerate bigger swings both down but also that's why you would get the bigger swings up mm -hmm. you finished the math didn't i you? did you finish the, i'm over like, here smirking like how did you know yeah it was 95. it puts you like at 95 like, you're at like almost 1 million like real just real a close. shade under just a right? shade under right just which is why shade. 96 you make it yep and so, yeah, and you're like 1.18 something yeah. if you go to 96, yeah, I mean, your, right? Your mental math, it always blows me away, but there's a there's a number for you. So put $100 in there, get a 12% return. Okay. And uh, it, there's it's just because if you picture the you know the graphics calculator in mm -hmm. your head when you do the graph, yeah. you can kind of see the scales. I guess how I do it. In my head, I can see the exponential curve mm -hmm. and I just sort of locate the point on the on the chart and I'm like it's going to be close to that value. So you're saying that somewhere in your brain you've got a TI84. Yes. That's like in there like churning stuff. A little bit. A little bit. Um, this math was kind of visual for me, certain parts of it, and so I really liked the geometry and some of the the plotting exercises and exponential returns are one of those that's really it plots really nicely. Mm -hmm. So that it's a nerd thing, I get it. You're, you're gonna have the CIA or someone like knocking on your door and like trying to get a sample of your DNA so we can learn how to replicate it. No, like, <laughs> no, I, this is not unique. Lots of people do this. Okay? okay, if you like, you can be taught this. I'll show you how to do this in your mind, Matt. Once you learn the rule of seventy-two, right? And and for all of our listeners, that's the magic, right? The rule of 72, how many years does it take to double your investment? Uh, that's right? what you were using. And so okay, at 12% every six years, and if you're 18, I was like, well, you're going to get a certain, and you gave me the end. That mm -hmm. was the thing. Once you told me, well, it's going to be 1.6 something, I was like, well, I can go backwards. And like, if I go back six years, I got to cut so that like in half. So it. Yeah. So it was less than six years back. So I'm like, well, from 100, if you go to 94, it's too far. So 95, 96 is going to be about right. It's somewhere in the between. And so I just had a good mental estimate. So you're saying you're more of a magician than a mathematician. Yeah, I'll just like <laughs> sleight of hand and trickery. That's all. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly it. Now, uh, when it comes to tax calculation, uh, the, the, the weird thing is it's the, the, it's, does, it's like a compound curve. It has changing shapes. Mm -hmm. So that's a little trickier, but... You know, distilling down a blended rate of return or blended tax rate, yeah, it's more obnoxious. Okay. So, great. Now all of our listeners are like, so what you're saying is you, you know, I'm, the funny thing I still will say is I'm not a numbers guy. Are nobody, you a, nobody believes me, but. Are you a nerd? Sure. Yeah, okay. Nerd without question. Okay. Yeah, I am definitely a nerd. Uh, and I don't mind that, that nope. moniker either. Right. I, I've always been a nerd uh, as the nerd that played sports, but I've always been a nerd. Once I saw your little glasses that like somehow fold up and go into like the one inch by one inch case, I'm like, yeah, that's full blown nerd. So they're <laughs> in my pocket now. <laughs> <laughs>
That, that's just because you get older. That's nobody warned me about this. Right? You know why Tom Brady's going to have to retire? Because he visually won't be able to see yeah, receivers anymore. Point, at some point, he's going to look at that little cheat sheet on his wrist, and it's going to be blurry. You know what? Tom Brady's <laughs> never going to retire, right? Like he's somehow got like sonar, like a dolphin or something. He's just going to like not even be able to see receivers, but he'll just be able to echo it out and start hucking the ball. I know that him. is too nuts. Too nuts. So. Uh, <laughs> We've really gone into the weeds this week, but you know what? I think the the listeners can appreciate it. On a day where the markets are sour, at least we yeah. still have our wit of humor. Yeah, and and the so here's takeaways for us as investors, and then the, the fun stuff is what are we going to do with this, right? We know that if you're an aggressive investor, it means you're willing to tolerate the bigger swings up and down. We also know if the current swing down is bothering you, that's actually a bad sign that you're not aligned with risks, mm-hmm. right? And so you you may if you find yourself saying, "I should have done this," or "I w- I knew it," all those are the kinds Maybe of comments. Maybe it's time to like, reassess that risk. Right. It's you're you're but, essentially. But but would the you caution is, against like making an adjustment in the bottom of a correction potentially? Oh, best question, Matt. Uh, Do you make the change now? Let's. Take this evil break oh, first. Man. And everybody's like, well, how do I handle this? Do we make the change? I'll give you a hint. The answer is not yes or no. Ooh. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang. Welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Radio Show. Matt, mm-hmm. uh, at our break, we were talking with our heroes, right? And yes. The question was, what should investors do with the markets down? And you said, well, hey, is it time to make a change? Right. I mean, if you're trying to de-risk yourself, well, you- yeah. If you what if what if you what if you've discovered through all of this that you really aren't willing to take this kind of risk, and you've you're like, you know, I thought I was a riskier investor, but now that I've seen it, I'm not. Now what? Well, you're faced with some tough decisions, and here's the first thing I'm going to recommend that you do. I would seek outside counsel, right? Yeah, because I would, you I would, don't want to make a rash at, decision. Uh, this is where working with a professional could be really advantageous. And the reason I'm suggesting this is, one, we're not going to give advice on the radio that's specific and individual because mm-hmm. we're not allowed to, right? That's a fiduciary issue. Um, two, we've talked about how a financial professional that's worth their salt should have a certain amount of professional, let's call it distance, Right. They, they are going to be a little more detached, a little bit more clinical detachment is good when it comes to the emotions of investing. OK, so they're also going to have something that is really useful. And I've used the firefighter example on the show before. Right. Your instinct should be to run from danger. And yet firefighters run into burning buildings. Why? Right? They're trained to do it. And Absolutely. They know they know what they're doing. It's And the training overcomes the emotions and that's Mm -hmm. something a financial professional should be able to bring to the table is training and judgment will help when you're dealing with emotions and the closer you are to an issue the harder it can be to be clinically detached right so Mm -hmm. your own money can be pretty challenging now that being said let's talk about i said that the answer is neither yes nor no but let's talk about some things to consider right now if you feel like you're misaligned with your risk. Okay. First, I want you to ask a question. Matt, if you were walking in today and your entire investment account 
was already liquid. It was all cash, and you were sitting on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. Would you go buy the stuff that you own right now? I would, but I would be dollar-cost averaging my way in. Okay. So, so I'm not going to throw it all in at once. So there is strategy number one. Is Well, the first thing is, do you believe in the investments that you own? Yes. If the answer is yes, that's a good start. Now you've talked about managing your average cost per share, mm -hmm. and that is you don't have to do a binary decision all or nothing into the market all at once. You can spread that decision out over time. This is something very common f that we do with our investors if they are brand new to the firm. Is mm -hmm. We don't just jump in with both feet without looking. We ease our way into the markets because an event like this could happen, yep. and you don't want to be... Uh, all of a sudden, in a situation where, great, I, I just jumped in just in time to have the bottom drop out. Well, and I feel like it goes both ways. We're talking about buying our way in. What if we feel like we need to kind of step a little bit out? Like, I mean, I think it goes the same way. Like, maybe you don't pull everything out all at once. Maybe you take part of it. Well, and I would suggest that unless you have to, it's, it's statistically very, very mm -hmm. difficult, if not arguably impossible, to time the markets. Even as much data and information as our firm has, we seldom think of ourselves as market timers. It's we, true. We tend a lot more towards either hedging, where what we're determining is how much exposure to risk are we willing to have, and so we might change position sizes, mm -hmm. right? So if we would rather be in what we think is a more defensive space, we're not getting in or out of the market entirely. We're shifting right. our exposures, like putting the chips in different spots on the table. So we will move things around a little bit to try to either counter things we see in the market or take advantage of things we see in the market. What about tax loss harvesting? So that's a whole separate strategy, of mm -hmm. course, that we would consider if you have losses. This is something that is making lemonade out of lemons. Okay, If you own something, and please speak to a financial professional or tax professional if you're unfamiliar with how this works but you can sell a stock at a loss or a mutual fund for that matter and realize the loss on pa on paper at that point you really do have a loss as long as you don't buy the same position back or a substantially similar position which is kind of an IRS fluffy term there but you don't buy the same thing back within the first 30 days you can and so you buy it after 30 or I always say 31 days because it's a month. Uh, it, then you avoid what's called a wash sale. You can capture that loss, repurchase later, even at the same price. But now, if you have a profit in the future and you sell for a gain, that gain is normally taxable. But you've banked this loss and you can use it to cancel some of the future gain, yeah, right? So if exactly. you have a $1,000 profit and a $1,000 loss, from an IRS perspective, you have no profit, right? Because the mm -hmm. losses and gains cancel each other out. So maybe it's useful Especially to, if you can get it at a cheaper price. Yeah, to take the loss, days. bank it on purpose, and then you can use that going forward. Where people struggle is when they commit to the price they bought it for. Uh, there's a there's a term for this. It's called anchoring bias, mm -hmm. right? Well, I bought it for two thousand. You know, I bought I bought this two thousand dollar position, and now it's worth a thousand. I can't sell it until it gets back to two thousand. Okay, then you can't sell it at all because when it gets back to two thousand, well, now it's finally making money. I may as well hang on to it. The issue is, is there a better opportunity 
now, right? If you walked in today with cash, would you buy what you have or would you want to own other things? Because if you're going to make an exchange, do it to improve your tax disposition or the quality of your investments. Okay. Sound advice. That's the issue is you want to make sure you're improving the quality so that you're getting ultimately what you're wanting, which is the best risk for the amount of, or the best reward for the amount of risk you're willing to take as an investor. Okay. And it's tough because if you're to ask me, well, what are the bargains right now? Well, that is the million dollar question, right? And if, if you know the answer to that, then it turns out if you bring me $100, I can make you a million a lot faster. <laughs> there you go. Right? But it's, it's we none of us, even if you have a crystal ball, none of us is clairvoyant. Like we, the, the crystal ball doesn't work. It's just a crystal ball. And, mm -hmm. you know, so anytime, I'm always really careful. When somebody tells me that they can predict the future, I don't buy it. When I hear some software that says, we develop these artificial intelligence algorithms and we know how to do it. I have played this game in my career many times. Markets abhor exploits and they wash themselves out over time, which is why trading software seldom works forever. It may work for a season, but market timing has been statistically extraordinarily difficult. So, um, but anyway, we're out of time. Are we? Just like that. So, hey. uh, I guess if you if you need more, give us a shout. How do they reach us, Matt? Yep, give us a call. Get that pen and pencil out. 541-375-0898. All right, gang. Well, until next time, I guess we got to run. This has been David Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. You will listening to True Wealth on uh, News Radio 939 and all that stuff. The preceding program was paid for on financial services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.